Well, we live in a world where our communication has gotten shorter and shorter. And a lot of people say the reason why our attention span for communication has gotten smaller and smaller is as a result of social media. In a recent U.S. Today article, uh, a college girl uh, gave a word to her peers that said the following, in the age of social media, words matter more than ever. And I think there's great truth to that because we are trying to pack a lot of punch in little packages, in little statements, in little tweets, in little snaps, in little reels. And she goes on in her article to say this. She says the following, it may be a bit cliche, but I'm going to repeat it anyway. Words are powerful things and we should be careful with how we use them. In an age where people announce major life events like marriage and childbirth to their friends and family in 140 characters or less, it is important for us to remember to make these characters count. As young adults living in the social media age, we should think carefully and critically about everything that we write online. Our words are priceless and meaningful, even when stuffed into 140 characters. Leave that on the screen. If you don't know what she's talking about, 140 characters is the maximum amount of letters or spaces you have in a tweet on Twitter. And so you better pack it all in really, really quick. Now, why do I bring this up? Well, first of all, the truth that we need to be careful how we use our words is going to be seen in our text. But more importantly, if there was a way for me to describe our text this morning, it is this. These are old school tweets, snaps, and reels. What it is, is these are powerful little statements in little packages. Now, we talked about this some time ago when we talked about the uh, fortune cookie wisdom where Solomon seemingly bounces from writing in his style of Ecclesiastes to more of the style that he wrote in the book of Proverbs. These multiplicity of statements, these altruistic moments that he speaks about in these short little durations, in these small little packages that literally pack a punch. Now, the hard thing is, is we're going to go through chapters 10 and 11 this morning, and the problem is, is to be quite honest with you, I am not fully sure of where Solomon wants us to go with this, and I'm not the only one. Philip Ryken, who's the president at Wheaton College, wrote this in his commentary in Ecclesiastes. This part of Ecclesiastes is a, not a carefully constructed argument, but includes a variety of short stories, case studies, maxims, proverbs, comparisons, and exhortations. Although the apparent lack of organization may be frustrating to some preachers, it's a lot like life itself in which one thing often runs into another without any obvious point of connection. But through it all, the preacher, that is Solomon, makes a clear contrast between two entirely different ways to live, the wise way and the foolish way. Therefore, it begs the question as we work through this passage, am I living wisely or foolishly? No matter all that we're going to get to, and we're not going to get to everything in the text this morning, it can be boiled down to the question, am I living wisely or foolishly? And each of us need to ask that question this morning. And the reason why is that there are four truths that I want to pull out of this text that I think are important for us to know, 
and important for us to apply or evaluate in our own lives so that we may live wisely and not foolishly. Let's look at each of them one at a time. The first one, write this down in your outlines, is this. The world is out of whack. The world is out of whack. I cannot say this more clearly than this. The world is crazy. The world is messed up. The world has issues. Amen? Okay, so you're there with me, all right? The world has a problem. And what we're going to see, as Solomon says, that's not just true today, but it's been true for a very, very long time. And he's going to explain through these Proverbs how that comes. Let's notice a couple of things. Verse 5, there's an evil that I've seen under the sun, as it were an heir proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on, gr- on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by those stones, and he who splits logs is endangered by those logs. Now let's stop there. And if you are like, what? You're right there with me. What in the world is Solomon talking about? What Solomon is trying to tell us through all of these thoughts is this simple truth. The world's got a lot of issues. And as a result of you and I being in the world, we've got issues. We've got struggles. We've got foibles. If something can go wrong, it seemingly will go wrong. Our world is full of troubles and disasters and inequities and it is at times it makes no sense at all now this truth has been true since the garden of eden so if we were to turn back to the early pages of the book of genesis we would see that god gave man and woman in the garden of eden the good life And the good life was found in this, that God was their priority and God was their partner in living life. And as long as God was their priority and their partner, everything went as it should. And they enjoyed life and they enjoyed one another and they experienced God in some real awesome ways. But then temptation came and man made a decision. Man said, I would rather live life on my terms not partnering with God, not making God a priority, but making myself a priority, Adam said, I'm going to go away from God and do my own thing. And in that moment, in that split second, everything changed. The life that God had given, the good life that man and woman had experienced in the garden, partnering with him, making him a priority, now was gone. Milton said it was paradise lost. And as a result of that, from that point on, the world, speaking of creation and our interaction with one another, and our interaction with God has become very, very, very difficult. And as a result of this, what Solomon says is the world as we know it is out of whack. It's out of whack. Well, we see this in a couple ways. Number one, the order of things is all messed up. The order of things is all messed up. You can write that down in your outlines. 
We see in verses five through seven, the way we define things, the way we order things is all askewed. It's, it's all screwed up. The fools, it says, and, and by the way, there's a lot of translation uh, changes from one translation to the other because some of these words that Solomon's going to use can be used in different ways from the Hebrew. And so he says this in verses five through seven. He says that the fools are held in high esteem while the rich, or literally the wise, are pushed to the margins. We live in a world where able-bodied people are at ease on horses while the disabled, the aged, walk using every bit of strength and endurance they have. And here's what it is. What Solomon is saying is the world that should be one way has been flipped upside down. Are you feeling that today? That the world has been flipped upside down? That things don't seemingly work as they should? It's amazing that what he's saying is in an essence, what the world does is it prides itself on putting a microphone in front of a fool. That the microphone get, I'm sorry, the fool gets his day while the wise are pushed away. And so here's what we see. We see it in Hollywood. We see it with athletes. We see it with celebrities. We shove microphones in front of them, the fools, and we ask them how to live life. And we put all kinds of media on them. We want to hear from them. We want to know them. We want to idolize them. And sadly, many of their lives are a mess. And yet we want to hear from them. And Solomon says, this is why we're all messed up. Number two, in this world, you need to recognize that the world is hard and the world's going to fight against you. Notice verses 8 and 9. Solomon uses some analogies to explain this. He says, you're busy living life. You're doing what you're supposed to. You're busy at work and what happens? Bad things. Why? Because the world's out to get you. That is creation. That is uh, the culture around us. And here's what he says. When you dig a, a pit, you'll fall into it. When you cut a hole in a wall, you'll get bit by a snake. When you work in a quarry or in a forest, a rock or a tree will fall on you. What he's saying is here you are, busy, living life, doing what you're supposed to be doing. You dig a pit, why? To get a well, to get water from the ground. You, you cut a, a hole in the wall, why? Because you want to put in a window in your house or, or a door. You're at busy at work at the quarry. You're Fred Flintstoning it, right? You're working at the quarry and all you have is rocks fall on you to injure you or hurt you. You're out in the forest cutting down trees and trees fall on you. What he's saying is even if you tow the line in this world, bad things are gonna happen. And you need to recognize this and know this. None of us are immune to the disaster that is there. One commentary said, living in this messed up world means that we are, uh, that there is always a disaster around the corner. There's always a disaster around the corner. We live in a world that isn't what it was intended to be. It's all messed up. It's all out of whack. Now, Solomon is now telling us that this world has been impacted by sin, and as a result, it's going to look very different than what God intended for his creation. That's why the Apostle Paul says in the New Testament that all creation groans. It knows something's wrong. And it's trying to figure out how to get back to the right place. But listen, I think there are times in life 
where things seem more out of whack than others. I am nearing now the start of my fifth decade on this planet. And I gotta be honest with you, the last handful of years have seemed a whole lot wackier than the first 40 that I was a part of. Maybe it's I'm just getting old and crotchety in my old age, right? Maybe I'm going where many of you have gotten and you just kind of have, have given up hope on, the, uh, on uh, the world figuring it out. Or could it be that we just live in a wacky time? We live in a time that doesn't seemingly make sense, where up is down, where one, things that were once called pure are impure. And I'm telling you, the Bible says this is going to happen until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. And so we need to recognize this morning that the world isn't our answer. The world's got its own problems. The world's got its own issues. And and we need to understand that it probably will not serve us well to look to a place that's got it all out of whack. Instead, we want to find the one who put it together with a plan and purpose. Amen? And so we want to look and ask the question, if the world isn't where the answers are at, because the world is only going to bring us trouble, even when we're minding our own business, then we need to look somewhere else. And it's our second truth that we're going to learn today is that we must choose to live wisely. In verse 3, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. There's a decision that needs to be made. We live in this whacked out world and we can either go with the world into its wackiness, into its folly, into its foolishness, or we can go the way of God and his wisdom. Now I want you to notice that this decision isn't going to be easy if you choose to live wisely. And here's why. In chapter 10, you're going to see the word fool, fools, foolishness, or folly. You're going to see that nine different times. But when you look and you glean through chapter 10, and you look for all of the references of wise or wisdom, you will find it three times. Foolishness and folly outnumber wisdom three to one. It is in the majority. And so if you are going to make a decision that you are going to live wisely in this world, you will be a minority opinion. And one of the reasons why this world functions as it is is because foolish people are saying this is exactly how it should be. And they're telling us to take it in, to enjoy it, to embrace it, to be a part of it, to make the most of it. And wisdom says, no, the world's out of whack. We need to go to the creator who created it, who intended it for a purpose and a plan. We need to invite Jesus Christ into our life who came to redeem us out of this world to bring answers that we would never find in this world and in this universe that we would find in him. And so we need to choose. And so for some of us who are choosing wisdom over foolishness, you're like, but I feel all alone. There's a reason. You're outnumbered. And so you go to work, you go to school, and you're like, man, it makes sense to me. Why doesn't it make sense to everybody else? Well, because they have followed the ways of this world. They have followed the ways of folly instead of wisdom. Now, right away, What does wisdom do? Notice in verse 10, wisdom is what helps one to succeed. 
To succeed in what? Business? To succeed in school? To succeed in, in relationships? No, to succeed in living wisely amidst foolishness. So how do you live in a world of folly, in a world of foolishness, without falling to it? Wisdom is the answer. But you gotta be careful because you can't simply say, I choose wisdom one day and then foolishness the other. In fact, Solomon says in verse one, something very poignant and, and, and very, uh, in some ways, distressing. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. What he's saying is, is you can live for a long time a wise life and take your foot off the gas for a moment and it's all for naught. You can live according to God's word and God's plan for your life for all of your days except for one and that one day will ruin the whole batch of good ones. Listen, a life of monogamy and faithfulness to your spouse is eradicated and destroyed with one illicit night of passion. One bad business venture in the present can ruin a whole past of successful business practices that have garnered you lots of prestige and maybe even lots of money. One careless word can take away a million other words that have been said that have built someone up. One destructive word can tear down and ruin a relationship. And so we have to be careful. We have to be vigilant. We need to make sure we're continually involving ourselves in the word of God. That's why we need to be thankful that God's word is here for us, that we can go to this word and we can apply these truths to our lives so that we will not sin against our Lord by living out foolish ventures in our lives. So we've got to commit ourselves in all circumstances to be vigilant. What it means is that we need to live with God in mind. We need to live with God as our partner. We need to live with God as our priority. And so as we put our eyes on Jesus and we look to Jesus and his sacrifice for us, we are reminded that I can't live this life without God and I cannot live life apart from God for that is utter foolishness. Maybe you're here today and you've walked into this place and you're not sure why you're here and you've come. I want you to hear what I'm laying down, what God's word is saying. You live your life apart from God and God says to you you're a fool you're a fool and he says that with all due respect and he's telling you there's a better way there's a greater answer and his name is Jesus Christ don't look to the world for your answers he says emphatically it is all out of whack it's messed up and you're going to find in the end, as you pursue life in, in this world, its passions, its pleasures, its prestige, its possessions, that it will never be good enough. And so he says to the Christ followers, to the, to the uh, individuals who long for wisdom, he says, you got to do something. Notice in verse 10, he says, if the iron is blunt... And one does not sharpen the edge. He use, must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. In this proverb, what Solomon is saying is he takes you out to a forest in front of a big tree. And he gives you an axe. But the axe he gives you is blunt. 
And so you start swinging the hammer and it will eventually start to beat down the wood. But isn't it easier? Isn't it wiser? Isn't it more productive for you to stop, to sharpen the blade so that with every hit comes progress? Can we say amen to that? One preacher said, many people in life are trying to cut down the trees of life using a butter knife. I like that. Will a butter knife cut down a tree? The answer is yes. It will take way longer and it'll involve a lot more blood, sweat, and tears and you'll eventually get there but you'll be frustrated in the end. You can live your life trying to cut down the trees of life with a butter knife or by the power of God's word you can sharpen your ax and the trees of life can come down a whole lot easier. And so the Bible says we take God's word that's sharper than any double-edged sword. And we sharpen the axes of our lives so that there's progress, so that we make way where there seemingly is no way. And this is what he's wanting us. Are we going to sharpen the wisdom that we have or are we going to live foolishly? This is the question. Will you be wise? Will you be foolish? Now, the question will inevitably be, how do I know if I'm being wise or if I'm being foolish? Notice what the uh, writer here says in verse 3. He says of a fool, even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he's a fool. How is it that that individual is telling the world he's a fool? The answer is through his mouth. And so therefore, if we're going to be wise in this world, if we are going to choose wisdom over folly, we need to watch the words we use. We need to watch the world's the words we use. In verses 12 through 14, we're given three characteristics of foolish words. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, verse 12. But the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. So let's stop there. Solomon articulates three characteristics of a fool. Number one, a fool uses untamed words or an untamed tongue. What it means is he talks, he talks, he talks. There's a multiplicity of words. Uh, there's no filter. There's no governor on what he says. If we could rewind 25, 30 40 years ago, anybody who would observed your pastor would have said, Tim has an untamed tongue. He says things that he shouldn't. I mean, and it's just dumb stuff. It's dumb exaggerations. It's dumb statements. It's just, it's just a whole lot of dumb. And so growing up, I heard from a lot of wise people say, Tim, shut up. Okay? Be quiet. But I had a malady that my mouth moved at a higher RPM than my brain did. And I would continually watch the words coming out of my mouth and my brain would try to grab them but they were already well out of my reach. And some of you are there this morning where you just talk too much. And you talk at the wrong times, saying the wrong things, and I'm there with you. It's an incredibly frustrating thing. And I look at people who are able to hold their mouths, and I'm like, well, they're not funny like me. 
And they don't get the first word in edgewise, and yet they do not live with the regret and the remorse of foolish words. And some of us are proving ourselves, rending ourselves foolish because we don't know when to shut our mouths. Number two, he goes on and he says in verses 12 through 14, are your words unkind? Now this is on the heels of verse 11 where he talks about the serpent biting. And the idea and the question is, are our words biting? Do our words hurt? Do our words cut down? A fool thinks of himself better than others and therefore his words cut down people instead of encouraging, instead of loving, instead of, of, of building up and, and uh, helping others with their words. We're cutting down whether through sarcasm or jokes or innuendos or coarse laughter and joking or, or cursing. For some of us that are, uh, we're around the most, they feel the greatest wrath over these unkind words. And it's easy to join in on this stuff. There was a moment in our, in our celebration around Thanksgiving where some family members were speaking ill of another family member. And I was telling my boys afterwards the object lesson there of how easy it is for us to jump on board even though the person isn't there to defend themselves, even though there's another side to the story, no doubt, that we just put down someone. And tomorrow you're going to have opportunity in school or work to gossip about someone, to badmouth the boss, to, to, to say something negative about someone. And you want to render yourself a fool? Join in with everybody else in doing it. Are your, wise, are your words untamed? Are your words unkind? Are your words finally unwise? Are they unwise? here? So again, it's, it's almost as if the book of James mimics itself in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Because James says this, the tongue, even though it's small, starts massive fires, even though it's a small spark. It's a small rudder on a large vessel or large ship. It, it directs the ship on where it's going to go. And it says the power of the tongue is huge. And here's the reason why the book of James says it boasts. And for some of us, maybe we're not unkind in our words. Maybe our words aren't full of bombast and, and all of that. We're just talking a mile a minute. But do we find ourselves boasting? You see, the book of James says, be careful you don't make plans and talk about the future as if it's going to surely happen. But we should say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this. If the Lord wills, we'll do that. You see this in the business world. In the business world, businessmen like to talk big. And they like to say, well, we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this. And when we do this and this, then this will be the outcome. What they're saying is A plus B always equals C. Well, I've been in the business world. Many of you may not know. I also run a, a catering business. And I've done so for the last 25 years. And here's what I've come to realize. A plus B in the business world rarely equals C. It rarely does. Something happens. The economy changes. The market changes. Um, your abilities to do things changes. COVID comes and changes things. And yet we boast. And for some of us right now, we're boasting about this. We're boasting about that. And, and we're boasting. And, and listen, it happens as parents. We boast about our kids. Just wait to become teenagers. You're boasting. You'll get a lot quieter when they become teenagers. How are your kids? They're good. 
Can we talk about the bears now? Right? Because our boasts, we begin to realize that our kids aren't all going to be the star quarterbacks and the stars of the show, and and they're going to be a lot like us, even though we boast about what we did back in the day. And so we've got to be careful. Are we rendering ourselves wise, but are our words rendering us fools? William Shakespeare put it this way when he said the following, A fool thinks himself to be wise, but a wise man knows himself to be a fool. How different would it be if we went to work or school tomorrow really recognizing the constraints of who we are and what we're all about? Now, there are a couple of ways that you can show the world you're wise. Write this down. I think this is really important. You can declare it, and the world declares it, folks. Social media is one big cacophony of people telling everybody how wise they are. I'm wise, listen to me talk. I'm wise, listen to me tweet. I'm wise, listen to me and what I'm proclaiming. And so you can go and you can tell the world how wise you are. I just want you to know as a Christ follower, the Bible always tells us that that's a foolish way to live, to speak about your wisdom. It never paints speaking about your own wisdom in a positive light. And what the world says and what Solomon is trying to get across in this text is don't declare your wisdom wisdom display it display it you see christians if we would just be busy at showing the world what the good life is and then instead of telling them how dumb they are and how smart we are we may win some converts even though we're the minority people might say wait a minute why does that person have joy why does that person have peace? Why does that person have the marriage they, that they have? Why does that person have the type of kids that they have? Why does the type of person not have the money woes that I have? What are they doing? And they come and they talk to you and you say, listen, it's not because I'm wise. I'm a fool who found Jesus. I'm a fool who found God's prescription for the good life. It'd be amazing. People are watching you. I'll never forget running into a teacher who came to this church, and I asked, why are you here? And she said, I started watching my students, and I started to see there was something different about a group of students, and I tried to figure out what their connection was. What was it that that made them tick? What was it that they were doing? And you know what I found out? And this blessed my heart. All of those kids that I saw doing it right went to your church. So I thought I'd come to your church and figure it out. Amen. If we would just display wisdom instead of pontificating that we're wise, surely maybe people might start asking more questions than arguing with us. You can, t- you can show the world you're wise in two ways. You can declare it, which is of no good, or you can display it. And here, Solomon is saying, I want you to display it. I want you to declare it through your actions, not through your words. Now, so let me close with this. I've got just a couple moments left. Here we are, we're living in a messed up, whacked out world. 
And for some of you right now, you're downtrodden about it. You're hurting. You don't like that the world's flipped upside down. You don't like that the things that God calls pure are being called impure by the world. You don't like that the world is literally uh, going to hell in a handbasket and you're all freaked out. And, and here's what Solomon declares. He wants you not to worry. He says, don't worry. God's way is better. Don't worry. God's way is better. I wish I could spend more time in this. I barely even, haven't even touched yet chapter 11. But here's the crux of the first five verses of chapter 11. And I want you to see what it says at the end of the passage. The work of God who makes everything. See that at the end of chapter, or ch- uh, verse 5? God's at work. Yes, the world's going all different ways. It's sideways. It's crooked. It can't make itself straight. And God says, but there's a day coming when it will be. There's a day coming, Christian, that this will all be figured out. And, and I want you to notice at the end of chapter uh, 11, verse 10, there's a word there. It's the word judgment. And judgment, just for those that maybe are wondering, judgment is where God writes the ship. Judgment is where God figures this all out for us. And so what we are to do is we are to live in light that there's a judgment coming. The world is okay with its folly because it does not think it will die and meet its maker. But we have learned in this, in this Bible, we've learned in this book, that we will die and then will come judgment. Are you ready for that, my friends? You are going to stand before your maker. And he's going to ask you, what did you do with the life I gave you? And if you just simply say, I did it to take care of self, that's the wrong answer. But if you choose, instead of your own folly, wisdom, wisdom will point you to Jesus. And wisdom will say, you can't figure this life out on your own. You need my son. And when we choose God's way instead of our own, notice what happens in verse 17. Happy are you. Happy are you. In verse 19, bread will make you laugh. Wine will make you glad. Money will answer everything. You're like, what in the world does that mean? When you put God in his rightful place at the top of everything, everything else figures itself out. Money can answer a lot of questions. Money is to answer every question that money was intended to answer. What money wasn't intended to do was to bring you happiness. And so God is the one who is to give you happiness. And when you put him as number one, then the bread, then the wine, then the money will all find its place. What God is saying is find me and in me you'll find the good life. Amen? So you have a decision to make. I have a decision to make. Will we choose to live wisely in the ways of the Lord or will we choose to go our own way into folly? My prayer, my whole purpose and passion in preaching this to you this morning is that you would choose wisdom found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Stop living this life on your own.